exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamlety. At the end of last week's episode, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were bumbling onto the stage in their hopes of subtly interviewing Hamlet so that they could report to Claudius and Gertrude. Polonius has exited, and the two are effusive in their greetings. My honoured lord from Guildenstern, my most dear lord from Rosencrantz. Whether these greetings are to the passing Polonius or to Hamlet himself, the effect is of two tryhards for whom overdoing it is a near constant. Not to announce my own personal feelings about these two young men, of course. After the scene with Polonius, in which he has been making such dazzling intellectual leaps and subtly messing with the older man via his assumed madness, Hamlet now assumes yet another persona, the chummy friend. By now, we've been conditioned to trust nothing in this court, and indeed we have been audience to the deal made with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to sound out the prince. Hamlet is surely as suspicious as we are. How long is it, after all, since he saw these two? We've no evidence to suggest that they were at Wittenberg with him. Back when we first met them, I mentioned that the two names are intricately connected to the Danish court and its history. It's entirely possible that Shakespeare picked these names to give a feeling of the kind of hangers-on that appear in any noble court. These old families that are content to be close to greatness and the privileges this brings. Entitled, probably spoiled young men who are not destined for true greatness, but likewise don't ever have to worry about doing any work. I don't think for a moment that Hamlet is doing anything but acting for their benefit in this scene, as we will see. He greets them nicely enough. My excellent good friends, how dost thou, Guildenstern? Ah, Rosencrantz, good lads, how do ye both? Within this line, there's plenty of room for hugging, shaking hands, and sizing each other up. Unlike the king and queen, Hamlet knows which of them is which. When he asks how they are doing, Rosencrantz has a rather strange reply. As the indifferent children of the earth... Now, indifferent here means of neither extreme, so they are neither happy nor unhappy. If they were Irish, he'd probably be saying something like, We're grand. They're no better or worse than anyone else. And of course, Guildenstern immediately qualifies this. He says, Happy in that we are not over-happy. On fortune's cap, we are not the very button. There's a variation in the text that suggests that he's saying, Happy in that we are not ever-happy. But that's a level of gloom that even this play doesn't need, I feel. The point is that Guildenstern is trying to say they're happy because they're not too happy, or over-happy, or indeed always happy. He's terribly awkward, says Guildenstern. He continues saying that on fortune's cap, we are not the very button. Like normal, ordinary people, haha. <laughs> they're not at the top of the heap, in this case, the button on fortune's cap. Hamlet replies, nor the soles of her shoe. Neither, my lord, says Rosencrantz. Hamlet is working this image now, the button on the cap or the sole of the shoe, to represent either extreme, in that the lads aren't at either position on the scale of happiness. Hamlet tries now to keep it fun, and he makes the image a little racier, since he is, after all, talking to his dear friends. He says, 
Then you live about her waist, or in the middle of her favours. Guildenstern replies, Faith, her privates we. Guildenstern actually manages to get the joke here and runs with it. Hamlet plays along and keeps it going. In the secret parts of fortune, oh, most true, she is a strumpet. There's already been a subtle reference to theatres and acting earlier in this scene, as discussed in previous episodes, and here there's another nod from Shakespeare. The Fortune was a rival theatre, presumably with an image of Lady Fortune hanging somewhere out beside the building. It's fun to imagine that perhaps she was dressed in a cap and shoes, as referred to here, and that Shakespeare is getting a sly dig at the rival theatre company by calling Fortune a strumpet. There'll be plenty more meta-theatrical references to come over the course of this scene, for sure. As well as the theatre nods, subtle and unrecognisable as they may be to a modern audience, Hamlet lays another little trap here as well. The inference that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are a strumpet's privates, and therefore for sale, will crop up very soon, as he will imply that the men are indeed for sale, prostituting themselves to the king. But for now, Hamlet steers the conversation back to the point. He asks, what's the news? Rosencrantz replies, none, my lord, but that the world's grown honest. This is a pretty nervous answer, I think. Perhaps Rosencrantz has seen through Hamlet's strumpet joke and the word true that was attached, and tries to compensate a little bit. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are here to mine Hamlet for information on behalf of his uncle's stepfather, who is suspicious of his behaviour. There's nothing honest about this encounter at all. They are masquerading friendship with Hamlet, and he likewise is pretending to be glad to see them. The world is anything but honest, and they all know it. Hamlet, at least, has a clever response. He says, Then is doomsday near. Because it would take the threat of the end of the world, doomsday, and the last judgment to make everyone in the world turn honest. He continues, But your news is not true. Rosencrantz would be a terrible poker player, because he has shown his hand. Hamlet seizes the opportunity and turns the tables. Your news is not true because, of course, the world has not grown honest. Right at this point in the text, there's a break between the folio and the other sources. There are approximately 30 lines, some of them very famous, that appear only in this little chunk of text, and so these particular lines will have their own slightly longer episode next week. To sign off for this episode, I should mention that several of this week's lines have given their names to other pieces of literature, as have so very many of the lines of this play. There was a recent earnest-sounding drama called All the Indifferent Children of the Earth, a play about living now, if you can imagine. Back in the 1920s, the novelist Frederick Manning wrote a book called The Middle Parts of Fortune, which in a later reprint was retitled Her Private's We. At some point, I'll have to try to catalogue all of the works of art and literature and the quotes and so on that have been named from lines of this play, it might be a rather daunting task, but I suppose it is the kind of thing that this podcast website should probably provide, or at least have a go of it. If you have any favourite titles of things, by all means tweet them. You can send them to at Hamlet Podcast on Twitter, and keep an eye on the website for an update soon enough, perhaps with this fabled catalogue to come. As I'm sure you know by now, the website is thehamletpodcast.com. Thanks as ever for listening. And I'll have that special episode on those unique folio lines this time next week. Take care.